unattached. There's a, um, uh, a story that gets told in economics classes that goes something like this. Once upon a time, stupid idiot farmers uh, didn't have money, so they would go to the market and be like, hey, how many pigs for a bag of rice, right? Uh, this kind of barter exchange. It never worked that way. I, I shouldn't say that. It almost never worked that way. And uh, for the reasons why economists say it's you know such a great idea to move toward a money economy because it's ridiculous nobody knows the exchange rate between you know uh, 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 eggs and a loaf of bread and everything else right it's obvious that it makes uh, life simpler to just exchange everything in terms of money but it's also equally obvious that that's not how it worked for a long time so how did it work Right. If barter was so stupid and money wasn't available, what did people actually do for the thousands of years where they had a non hunter gatherer lifestyle, but did not have a modern money economy? OK, it went like this. First of all, imagine your own life. Uh, in a family or in a neighborhood, right? So, uh, uh, you know, imagine the, you know, the 1950s image of, you know, you send your kid over to the neighbors to ask for a cup of sugar type of thing. Uh, so not, not long ago, uh, I needed some help with my car and I knew my neighbor knew about that kind of thing. And so I asked him and came over and gave me a hand. It was great. Very helpful. I appreciate it a lot. And now... I kind of feel like I owe him, right? Not that he's going to, you know, come over and bang on the door and say, hey, listen, I, I need a hundred bucks because I helped you last week. But just generally, he did me a solid and I'm looking out for a chance to do the same thing for him. That was, for much of history, how most people did this kind of thing, right? That trade exchange among the people that you knew, the people in your village, the people in your family, the people that weren't in your, not in your immediate family, but your kind of extended family, maybe the people you went to church with, the people that had a farm down the way. The idea was that you would help each other out by saying, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to help you fix your barn. I'm going to help you, uh, you know, harvest your, you know, wheat in this uh, emergency situation when your son broke his leg or whatever. But I'm going to pretty much feel like you owe me something. And you, more importantly, you are going to pretty much feel like you owe me something. And if anyone in the community starts to get out of line, you know, they're constantly asking, they're never repaying, then that person becomes increasingly a pariah. That family, you know, is increasingly someone that you're not going to go out of your way to help. There wasn't this precise ledger, but there didn't need to be. If you're only interacting with a small group of people and it's all people that you know, you don't have to have some precise worked out sort of deal. But what happened when the community got bigger? What happened when your plow breaks and, 
you know, now you need to go to the next village because they've got a blacksmith and that's someone that's going to be able to do the work for you, but you don't know them very well. You're not married into their family. It's kind of a thing, right? How does that work? Now, uh, this is the place where barter might make sense, but for the most part, when people needed something was the precise moment when they didn't have something to barter. And as we talked about before, it kind of didn't make sense to go to the the blacksmith or whatever and say, my plow is broken. I'm not going to be able to plow unless I get it fixed. You know, I'm in this dire circumstance. Can you please help me out? But, you know, that person on the one hand is not someone you're going to interact with very often. And it's not necessarily someone that's going to trust you to pay you back in kind at that moment. Now, this is a place where it would make sense to follow that economic story of saying, OK, well, let's use gold. Right. So this this is how this uh, you know story always go, uh, goes is that, well, we can't quite trust each other. It's a little bit too big. A th- it's not just like a cup of sugar. It's kind of something that I'm going to have to spend a day working on and I'm going to have to use fuel and blah, blah, blah. And you're not going to be able to you know trade with me. How do we make this happen? Oh, I know gold. But the thing is that overwhelmingly most people. Uh, for most of the, you know, pre-capitalist world did not have anything like enough wealth to be able to have any gold at all, right? So if you're talking about like a, a, a Dark Ages Europe, most of the peasantry would not have any gold at all, not even a coin. It's not even a possibility. And uh, even if you even if you did, even if you're like the richest guy in town, having gold may or may not be useful because nothing that you could buy would be worth enough to uh, 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 to pay for it in gold. Right. So most of the history of gold as money was only among the richest people who that even made sense. Right. And, and the gold would be used on big ticket items, not, you know, repairing my plow. So here we have the situation where there's no money, there's no gold, but there's also no kind of precise trust. Barter doesn't make sense. What did people do? What did people do? Well, the answer for the most part in agrarian societies all over the world was they did use a kind of money and that kind of money was grain. Right now, uh, they didn't use it in the way that we would use money, like, you know, going into town with like a wheelbarrow full of rice or or barley or oats or wheat or whatever it was. And then, you know, go to the shop and be like, hey, here's a bag of grain. Give me, you know, whatever. Didn't work that way. Instead, it would work like this. Okay. My plow is broken. I go to the next town. I need it fixed. I go to the to the blacksmith and say, listen, I will give you five sacks of grain at the harvest time if you fix my plow now right that was how it worked and i may or may not sign something i may or may not do it based on trust i may or may not bring someone else in to kind of say yep this is someone i trust i'll vouch for them however it worked in that particular location was however it worked in that particular location but of course everybody knew that if you didn't pay the next time your plow broke you were out of business and then that 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 uh, future grain uh, could be used in itself as money. So then uh, the the uh, the blacksmith could go to I don't know whoever is selling 
I don't know, wood or coal or whatever it is a blacksmith needs and say, listen, I'm going to be taking delivery of, you know, a hundred sacks of grain when the harvest comes in. I'm, I'll give you five of it for this much fuel or 10 of it for that much wood or whatever it is that I need to do. And so there would be this, you know, fairly complicated economy that could thrive in this local area, all based on let's settle up at the harvest, right? So now the conventional story about why grain isn't great as a source of money is true, right? Like you can only store it for so long. Uh, it rots. It, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you can't store it long term. You don't gain interest when you just put it in a granary or something like that. All of that is true. And in that way, uh, gold is a better store of value. Now, and for most of the United States, we were bimetallic. That is, we used gold and silver. And the reason for that was also pretty simple, which was gold is a lot more expensive, something like a hundred times uh, more expensive. So, uh, you know, you, you can't make gold coins small enough to be convenient. So right now, you know, a silver coin that I could carry around in my pockets worth 20 bucks. And you could well imagine that being sort of useful. Even there though, you know, there's a lot of times when you're not gonna be buying things in denominations of $20 and you'd really prefer to have it in much smaller uh, pieces than that. But it's really inconvenient if you're thinking about this approximately the same amount of gold being 2000 bucks. Right, you're really going to carry around two thousand bucks in your pocket. I mean, day to day, what do you buy that's worth that much? Right, not not a lot. So this is why you uh, you ended up with you know gold coins that could be split in half or into eighths. That's what a pieces of eight were. Is a gold coin that was split into eight pieces. Uh, you know, uh, the, just the convenience factor was never there for gold. It was always and still to this day is mostly used for uh, for larger purchases if it's going to be used for anything at all. So that sets the stage for what's supposed to be the conventional story about paper money. Now, you know, in like high school economics, you sort of say, okay, so then they would just put the gold in the bank so they didn't have to carry it around all the time. They got certificates of deposit that then became evolved into paper money. And that's sort of true. It's sort of true. But people, especially in the United States, kind of forget a lot of how that history went. So it's not the case that we just went from gold, carrying around pieces of gold, to having dollar bills in our pockets, right? In fact, the dollar as we know it is a 20th century creation. If you look for most of the 19th century, most of the money was issued by banks. I remember uh, learning when I was, I don't know, in middle school or something, that Joseph Smith started his own bank and started printing his own currency. And at the time when I learned that, I thought, stupid Mormons. How crazy is that to just have this, you know, this guy printing his own money as though that were a thing that people did. Uh, in fact, I was the stupid one because that was how most money uh, was created. Most non-gold money uh, was created in the United States in the 19th century. That is, there wasn't a government agency that was issuing the money, but private banks that were issuing the money based directly on deposits. So it wasn't until the 20th century when uh, uh, the uh, federal government really gained a monopoly on money. And you know, the idea that Bitcoin is revolutionary is true, 
But a lot of what's revolutionary about it is everything old is new again, right? The fact that you can have private currency is in many ways much more uh, potentially revolutionary than anything having to do with uh, uh, the blockchain or anything like that. And yet it's an old idea. Money has been from the very beginning about trust. It started out, I trusted my neighbor because I could keep my eye on them. I trusted, uh, you know, the person growing the crops because they needed me as much as I needed them. I trusted gold because I could touch it. I could put it in my pocket and people had been using it for thousands of years. And then I trusted dollars because I had to and because I knew the federal government wasn't going anywhere. So it's no mistake that right at this moment when trust in government is plummeting, that also our trust in government managing our money, controlling our money, having a monopoly on our money is straight down in the toilet. So I don't know if Bitcoin is the answer. I don't know if I need to start going back to uh, trading in grain or what. But I think it is very good news indeed that people are remembering that money isn't a gift from the government and you should only take money that you trust.